Genesis chapter 20. This morning, I, you may say he's got a little more energy than normal. I am uh, excited. Today is, uh, we're, Lisa and I are celebrating our 23rd wedding anniversary. So, I am excited about that. And, uh, and um, I should point out, Carlos and Celia are at 40 years today. Ooh. So, we're going to catch up to you one day, Carlos. Sue? 64. All right, now we have a, a greater goal. Congratulations, you two. All right, they're first in line for coffee after church. That is, that is awesome. And they were married at, in this church, by the way, Bob and Sue were, right? Okay. So, we, we, was it, it was downtown at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, but still this church. So, very good. It's married at Hilltop Church. You stay together at least 65 years, right? <laughs> um, very good. Well, we're in this series. If you have your, your notes, you want to follow along called My Life, My Rules. Um, it's a series that I have uh, borrowed the title and, and some of the um, subject matter from a church called Twelve Stone Church. You're welcome to look it up and watch uh, the Pastor Kevin Myers' uh, messages uh, as well, just so you can get uh, a, a double. I don't follow his messages exactly because I want to hear what God's Word is saying to us at Hilltop, but I found his, his uh, outlines and his ideas uh, very helpful. So here's what we've learned so far. Last week we learned this, that we human beings are not anti-rule. I know you think we're anti-rule. We think we don't like rules, but we found out that we do like rules, especially our rules, like the snooze button rule, right? Hit the snooze button two to three times before I get up. You like that rule? It's a rule we have for our life. So we, we are not anti-rule. We actually like some rules. So I had this question as we, we begin this morning. It's simply this. Would you like to live in a world where you made the rules? Would you like to live in a world where, where you made all the rules. Now, come on. I think we have to say, kind of, right? And, and, and it's like maybe your first response is, yeah, I, I would like that. I thought of some rules that it would be in my, rule, in my world if I could make the rules. One would be I would always be first in line, no matter where I go. So, you know, I wouldn't have to shout out three's a crowd. I would just, the, like the parting of the Red Sea would open up and I would always be first in line. I like that rule. The second rule I, I had was sunrise would always happen when I'm ready to get up. Wouldn't that be a great rule? When does the sun rise? When Tim gets up, that's when the sun rises. And my third rule, and this is the final one, I think you'll agree with me. Free refills on milkshakes at Chick-fil-A. I'm not done. Sunday after church. All right. So uh, in my world, Chick-fil-A would be open on Sunday. They could close one other day of the week, but on Sunday after church, they'd be open. All right. You know, it's not a good idea, huh? <laughs> and we know this because of what happened in Genesis. Recall in Genesis, Adam and Eve decided to make their own Rules. You can turn there if you want. I really wanted you to say in Exodus 20, so if you promise to come back and turn there. I'm only going to read verse 1 from Genesis. It says this, chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. 
There's a key thing to remember when reading the book of Genesis, especially chapter 3, is that nowhere does the author say that the serpent is Satan. It doesn't say that. What is the serpent in the book of Genesis? It's a serpent. It's one of God's creatures. Why do we say it's Satan? Well, later on in, in, in Revelation, it points back to it's possible whether it was Satan. I don't think Satan took over the serpent. But certainly the serpent was acting in line with Satan, the accuser. But Genesis doesn't want us to think, the author of Genesis doesn't want us to think it's Satan. Because then we go, oh, Satan caused all this bad stuff in the world. Satan did it. The devil made us do it. The serpent, one of God's creatures, and yes, it's weird because it can talk and walk until afterwards, but the serpent is described with one particular word, crafty. It's crafty. That's not a bad word, by the way. But it meant, in this context, it's bad because it was its own wisdom. And the serpent got Adam and Eve to act on their own wisdom. So that they thought their wisdom in how to rule the world or their wisdom in how to live, what rules to make in this world, was better than God's rule. At that time, God had only one rule. Don't eat of the tree of, of the, the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And, and we've been through Genesis before, so you know that God didn't just say that. He said, eat from all the... Well, I'll knock myself out here. Eat from all these trees. And, and in Genesis 2, it says there were all kinds of trees. And I like to think, I think it's true. There are trees that existed in Eden that simply don't exist today. There was fruit there that grew on the trees or, or, or nuts that grew on the trees that tasted like pecan praline ice cream and filet mignon. All right. There was unimaginable stuff. So God was not limiting them in any way. He was saying all, just not this one. But they thought, no, our wisdom is better. And the result of that was... They lost paradise. And they end up living in a world where there was sorrow and shame and disease and heartache and difficulty and depression and loneliness and death. That's what our rules, my rules, your rules, that's what it leads to. And when we read Genesis, we go, if only they had followed God's wise rule. But we have to ask ourselves the question this morning, am I following my rules? Am I living in the world of my rules or am I trying to follow God's rules? Here's the point of this morning's message. I'll tell it to you clearly. I want you to consider this. Would you consider following, falling in love with God's rules? It's the point. Consider following, excuse me, say it again. Consider falling in love with God's rules. That sounds a little bit strange to our ears. We're going to hear how that is not a strange thing in the Bible. You may be here this morning and you may not like any of God's rules. And I'm asking you, would you consider falling in love with God's rules? You may be here this morning. You say, well, I already follow God's rules. That's not what I'm asking. You may follow God's rules out of that obligation to be good. Well, I want to be a good Christian, so I have to. Now, in your lingo, you may not say have to, but that's really how it comes out. I have to follow God's 
rules. But what the Bible wants, what Jesus wants, what God wants is for us to be in love with His law, with His commands and His rules. So that's where we're going this morning. And I want to give you, there are more than three, but I have here three reasons to love God's rules. And we'll see, when I say love, I mean a heartfelt love. Three reasons to love God's rules. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, the rule giver has first loved us. The rule giver has first loved us. So now we're in Exodus, and I want to read to you verses 1 and 2. Yes, we went over this last week, but last week we focused on the the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules. This week we just want to um, mainly focus on this introduction. So Exodus chapter 20, God is giving the law. He's rescued them from Egypt and He's giving them the law. He introduces it this way. Verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Some of your versions may say out of the land of bondage. Wow, just verse 1, God spoke. You ever want God to speak to you? (laughs) I do. He was speaking to His people. And guess what? We're His people. So when we read the Bible, He's still speaking to us. In Hebrews uh, chapter 1, I believe it's verse 2, it says, God speaks to us today through His Son, Jesus Christ. The question isn't, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? And then He goes on here in verse 2 of Exodus uh, 20, and He says, I, this is how He introduces Himself, I'm the God who rescued you from slavery. You were in bondage in Egypt. You were under another ruler. His name was Pharaoh. And though he purported to be a god and a good ruler, in actuality, he had made you slaves. He forced you into labor for his own benefit so he could have the buildings and the things that he wanted. He chose where you would live, what you would eat. He beat you, he imprisoned you, and he killed some of you. That's what it means to live in bondage. You have no choice. And the ruler who is over you is leading you to death. In fact, if God had not rescued, and you know the story of of Exodus, if God had not rescued His children, there would have been genocide. Pharaoh was ready to kill them all. Notice this. It's the layout of Exodus 20. It's how it all started. God first loved and then He gave rules. You can write it down this way. Love comes before rules. It's God's methodology, if you will. Love comes before rules. When His people cried out because of their suffering. In the Old Testament, when people cry out to God, we're learning this in the men's uh, Bible study. Wednesdays, 7 o'clock, anyone's welcome. There's coffee and usually a treat. I heard Dell is making treats this week. So, Ken volunteered you. We're glad. He asked first. Okay, he did. All right. <clears throat> so we're learning this. When the people cry out to God, they're not repentant. <laughs> they're not sorry. They're just in pain. And we think, well, God's not going to listen to them if they're not repentant. That's not what it says. They cried out to God in pain, and God said, first obey my rules, then I'll rescue you from Egypt. <laughs> no. God rescued them first because He loved them. And then, we'll learn in in point two, because He loved them, He gave them rules. There are two mistakes the church makes when it comes to love and rules. And the first one is this. We put rules before love. 
We say, we'll love you if you behave the way we want you to behave. We'll love you if you think the way you're supposed to think. We'll love you once you stop living that way, once you stop behaving that way, then we'll love you. But our world is full of people who are hurting. And in their hurting, they are doing things that are horrible to the world and to themselves. And in that sense, they are crying out. We are to love them first. And then comes God's good loving rules. The first mistake is we put rules before love. The second mistake is that we say love changes the rules. The second mistake that the church can make today is say, well, love changes the rules. Because God loves you, we're not going to restrict your behavior. We're not going to give you rules and, 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 and not let you do the things that you want to do. Because God is love, we are not going to restrict your desire or behaviors and let you be free to do whatever you want to do. And of course, we know that that is not love. We can't put rules before love and we can't um, say that love changes the rules. And our example is always is Jesus. Some of you remember the story in the Gospel of John. It's in, at the end of chapter 7 and also uh, part of chapter 8 where there was a woman caught in adultery. I think that's the, that's the title of the story, right? The woman caught in adultery. Are you recalling that story? And there's Jesus. He's teaching. And suddenly the religious leaders who were anti-Jesus, they bring this woman and they throw her down in the middle of the crowd and said, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. You notice something missing? Put it this way. You notice someone missing? Adultery takes two. <laughs> they don't care about her. They don't care about the law. But they say, hey, the law says this woman should be stoned. You know the story. Jesus says, well, let the person who's without sin throw the first stone. Well, to say you were without sin, that would also get you stoned. So one by one, the religious leaders leave. And Jesus goes up to the woman. And he says, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. And then he says, go and stop living that way. <laughs> go and sin no more. Now, there's a problem, a modern day problem with that story. And that's this. We've heard it so often. We instantly empathize with the woman and root for Jesus and can't see where the religious leaders are coming from. So we need to we need to add some more modern twist or modern sins to her. So we we get that really we tend to be or naturally are on the side of the religious leaders. Because I think you could say here, she, she ruined a family. She destroyed a marriage and a family. Now, because of her actions, <clears throat> a man and his wife will never be the same and their children will never be the same. What about, she probably had her own children. What did she do with them? She neglected them. She, she left them alone at home or she left them in a, in a locked car. The window's down just a little bit. Now you're starting to get a little bit upset with this woman. On her way to the act of adultery, she parked in a handicapped spot, only she's not handicapped. Now, we kind of chuckle at that, right? But doesn't that just get our ire up when you see someone parked in a handicapped spot and they get out and they run <clears throat> or walk fast? She was an LBGTQ plus activist. Now, is your ire getting up? 
I guess a better modern way to say it was she was an anti-Kavanaugh activist. Now, are you on Jesus' side? Are you with those Pharisees throwing her down? You see where we are? And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. And because I love you, I want you to go and sin no more. Love comes before rules. Perhaps you're having trouble this morning believing that God can forgive you. So take that thing in your life. You think, God won't forgive me for this. Won't forgive me for this behavior. Won't forgive me for this sin. Won't forgive me for being this way. And now add that to this woman's list of sins and wrongs. And hear Jesus say to you, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Can you fall in love with the law given by the one who loves you first? The second reason we can fall in love with the law is this. God longs for us to live in freedom. He not only sets us free, He wants us to live in freedom. God's rules don't lead to bondage. They help us live free. Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, referring to Himself, if the Son has set you free, you can finish this, right? You are free indeed. All other rulers seek our bondage. Pharaoh seeks our bondage. Satan, who's called in the New Testament the ruler of this world, When he was trying to tempt Jesus, he was trying to get Jesus to enter into a bondage relationship, into slavery. He said to Jesus, I'll give you everything you want, everything your heart desires. All you have to do is bow down and serve me. That's that's bondage. The Apostle Paul expressed our struggle with bondage when he said, I can't do the things I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do. There's not a human being in history who can't relate to what Paul said in Romans 7. I don't do the things I want to do and I'm doing the things I don't want to do. In Romans, uh, just a chapter later, he would write, through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law of God, the rules of God become our guide to live in freedom. Please understand this point. God's laws do not set us free. (laughs) It's impossible. It's like, you know what? I'm going to live free. I'm going to live the way God wants me to do. Open up to Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Memorize the Ten Commandments. That's how I'm going to live. It's impossible. You can't do it. The law does not set us free. Jesus sets us free through his death and resurrection, which we're going to celebrate here. That's another reason to be excited on the first Sunday of the month, right? Communion. That's how we are set free. But then the law guides us in that freedom. John Wesley, we're a Wesleyan church, and John Wesley, by the way, said it this way. Now, now, you need to know at the beginning of his ministry, he tried to do it by the law. He's the only... English uh, or, um, is the only English missionary I'm aware of that had to escape America. There were just 13 colonies at that point because he was chased out of town by the local sheriff. Right. If you want to know more of that story, either Google it or ask me because it's a cool story. But he was trying to live by the law. And so by living by the law, he was ticking people off. He had no love at all. He got in trouble. All right, I'll tell you. He liked the sheriff's daughter, but 
she liked someone else, and so she came to church one Sunday. He refused to serve her communion. That was a big deal in those days. And so the sheriff didn't like that. And we're not sure all that happened. Well, all we know is he had to get out of town fast because he was trying to follow God, to be good. He was trying to set, get set free just by following the law. And then, if you know his story, he had this what we call his heartwarming experience where he said, I realize God did love me and forgave me for my sins. Jesus set him free. And once Jesus had set him free from bondage, he was able then to go to the law. In fact, he says it this way. It's a famous saying of John Wesley. The law sent me to Christ and Christ, after he freed me, sent me to the law. Jesus sets us free and God wants us to live in freedom because he doesn't want us to go back to bondage. Bondage is self-destructive. When you look at these laws, you still have your 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 Bibles open to Exodus 20. All these these laws have to do with keeping us living in freedom. You shall have no other gods. Why? Because all other gods put us into bondage. Pharaoh. Rulers of this world, philosophies, isms, other religions, they all put us in bondage. There's only one God, says it here, says it all over the place, who sets us free. The second command, remember this one? Don't make idols. And we talked about idols being our misconceptions of God. And those idols hold us in bondage. If you have a view of God that says He's wrathful, He's angry, He doesn't like you, you are in bondage. Get rid of that idol and listen to how Jesus revealed God to us. And we could go through all of these here. Don't murder. Remember, Jesus said, don't hate. If you have people in your life you can't stand, you're in bondage. Jesus needs to set you free so that you don't hate, don't lust. The porn industry makes billions of dollars holding millions of people in bondage to immorality. Don't covet. We are controlled by our desire for success, our desire for money, our desire to be something in this world. Jealousy. Uh, The entertainment industry, uh, when I say that, I don't mean movies made. I mean, um, you know, the Kardashians and, and, and our infatuation with people of fame is a lot of it's based on jealousy and covetousness. We either hate them because we're jealous of what they have or we we love them, we want to be like them because we covet what they have. Are you in bondage to anger, to financial success, to immorality, perhaps to disappointment? Let Jesus set you free. Some of you heard me talk about my friend Steve Dordery before. Steve, before he became a Christian, sought success in this world, in his career, um, and uh, he liked to party. And that got him in trouble. He became an alcoholic. And he lost his job as an air traffic controller, which was good money he was making. Plus, you get discounts flying wherever. He lost his first marriage. He lost his license. He lost his beloved motorcycle. He was a Harley rider. He lost everything. He went to AA and he got set free from uh, you know, addiction to alcohol, but he still had the burden of his past. He and I became friends because we worked at the same place and I had to give him a ride to work. And well, he asked me to, and so I, I didn't have to, but I gave him a ride to work. It was, it was, he was actually on my way. 
And I'd invite him to church, and he'd say no, no. And then one day he said yes. And wouldn't you know, it was the Sunday I couldn't be at church. I was going out of town to visit family. So I called this cute girl I knew. And I said, Lisa, uh, you know my friend Steve I've talked to you about? Yeah. He said he'd come to church. Great, but I can't be there. What? What are you talking about? I said, would you sit with him? Now, you got a picture. I am an idiot for not being in church that Sunday. I'm just going to admit that. I have a picture of it in my mind, but I wish I had a real picture of Steve. What is that? Six one, burly guy, still wore the leathers, even though he couldn't ride his Harley. Redhead. He used to work in the, in the oil rigging field, so he had this huge, bushy red beard. All right? Six foot one, bushy red, leathers next to five foot two, eyes of blue. That's Lisa. <laughs> And he heard the good news about Jesus. And on that Sunday morning, or pretty soon after that Sunday, Jesus set him free and released him from the burden of his past and the slavery to the guilt that he had carried around. And man, did he love Jesus and did he love Jesus' laws. He began to invite all his AA friends and they, many of them became Christians. His wife became a Christian. He was no longer in bondage. Can you fall in love with the God? Can you fall in love with God's law that sets you free? The third reason for falling in love with God's law is simply this. The more you follow His laws, the more you follow them, the more you love them. The more you follow them, the more you love them. If you would just try to learn and follow them, you would find you would fall in love with God's laws with the help of Jesus. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Some of you know that. If I were to ask that as a trivia question, right? It is long. So if you're ever, you know, in Sunday school again and someone says, all right, pick a scripture to read and one of them is Psalm 119, volunteer to do something shorter before that's the last one on the list. It's also set up differently than, than any other um, it, has, it has an interesting uh, structure. It's got 22 stanzas, one for each of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And it has eight verses in each stanza. And each of those verses starts with the letter of the alphabet it corresponds to. So if it were in English, it would have 26 stanzas. Are you following me? And then the first stanza would be the letter A, and every verse would start with A. And the second stanza would be the letter B, and every verse would start with... Okay, one person understands. I don't need to go back. We start with B, and on so on. Why? To help them memorize it. Why? Because its subject matter is the love of God's law. It's a love song. It's not written to a woman. It's not written to a man. It's written for the love of God. Of God's law. Now, well, you can remember some of the words to love songs, right? I beg your pardon. I never. Oh, wait, that's not a love song. But you remember words and you sing them for the rest of of your life. Uh, There's an old Charlie Rich song. I learned it when I was a little kid. Hey, did you happen to see the most beautiful girl in the world? She's right here, by the way. (laughs) It's our anniversary. I can just brag a little bit. This is a love song to God's law. That sounds strange to our ears. But as you read it, and my challenge is that you would read it every day this week. You don't have to read. If you want to read the whole thing every day this week, amen and hallelujah. 
but at least be reading it throughout the week that you would see that not only do you fall in in love with God's law, you fall more and more in love with God's law. I'm going to read to you just some parts of it. You can have your Bibles open to Psalm 119. I just put a few verses together to kind of give us a bit of an idea. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. There is an emotional component as well as a mental, decisive, emotional component to our relationship with God's law. It says, They do no wrong, but follow His ways. I have hidden Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. I delight. That's emotional. That's joyful. I delight in Your decrees. I will never neglect Your Word. It goes on to tell us, as you read, you'll notice that love and obedience to God's law is not without difficulty. Again, this is a false lie, an idol that we believe. If I obey God's law, my life will go well. If I obey God's law, the blessings of God is that I will increase financially and and, uh, my family, everything will go good. That's not true. That's not the reason we love God's law. We love God's law because it helps us live in freedom. Love Love and obedience are not without difficulty. We learn when it comes to loving God's law. The rulers sit together and slander me. Your servant will meditate on your decrees. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. You see, too, there's work to be done in learning to love God's law. The hope is that we would love and delight in God's law. Listen to these. Uh, this is from verses 47 and 97. For I delight in your commands because I love them. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. As you read through Psalm 119 this week, would you hear that it is possible not only to love God's law, but to fall more and more in love with God's law. And as you step out in obedience, your love for His law will grow. It kind of is that if you taste it, you will see that it's good. It's the green eggs and ham thing, right? So I'm going to tell you quickly the Brussels sprout story. I grew up in a house and I had the rule, you will eat your Brussels sprouts. And we had them not every week, but we had them a lot. And none of my brothers or I liked the rule. And our dogs and our cat did not like the rule because they didn't eat Brussels sprouts either. So we were forced to eat our Brussels sprouts. And then when I moved out, and I, every time I went shopping, I never bought Brussels sprouts. I never ate them. And then I meet this beautiful girl and we start dating and I get invited to Grandma Jane's house for dinner. And what's one of the main things at Grandma Jane's house that she's serving? It's Grandma Jane's Brussels sprouts. I'm thinking, oh no. <laughs> And, and this family is focused on them. Oh, all right, we're having Brussels sprouts. Tim, have you ever had these Brussels sprouts? No. Oh, you, you'll love these Brussels sprouts. And I'm going, what kind of family is this that loves Brussels sprouts? So we're sitting down and they're kind of watching me and I'm thinking, all right, if I don't eat these Brussels sprouts, they're not going to let me date this pretty girl. And I believe she's, she's worthy of 10, 1,000 Brussels sprouts I would eat for you. So I take a bite and what is this delicious thing I just put in my mouth? Because they were covered, not a better word is they were marinated in butter, 
Not margarine, real butter. And then they had pieces of bacon. Now, notice I did not say bacon bits that you buy at the store in a bag. This was bacon that had been fried up, chopped up, and put on. And they were delicious. Uh, You may think, not not enough bacon and butter in the world. I'm telling you, they were delicious. And then the tables turned. Here, I was looking at them. You're strange for eating Brussels sprouts. Now they're looking at me. You're strange for not loving Brussels sprouts. (laughs) As we follow God's laws, as we surrender to His commands, through the power we have been given by the forgiveness of Jesus and in the giving of the Holy Spirit, we will fall more and more in love with His law. So that even though the world says you are strange to obey God's laws, What's the big one in our culture? You are weird if you choose to remain a virgin until you're married. We will say, you will say, those who do so will say, ah, I love God's law. You are weird not to hate and get revenge on those people you hate. No, when you decide to forgive them and love them, you will find out this is a much better way than the poison of bitterness in my heart. I love God. God's law. Can you say amen to that? So the challenge this week is this, to read Psalm 119, uh, all of it, a little bit of it every day. And the question is this, will you seek to fall in love with God's rules? Will you seek to fall in love with God's rules? Would you stand with me as we we close in prayer and I'll pray for um, us as we prepare to take communion as well this morning. Gracious, almighty God, we do live in a world and we have had these thoughts and beliefs and and philosophies and ways of thinking ourselves. Or we have thought, well, some of your rules are good and some of them are worthy of following, but some are just too difficult. Sometimes we just do it from pure grit. Well, we have to out of obligation. But Lord, we, we see there's another way that Jesus didn't set us free so we could be obligated to follow You. He set us free that we might fall in love with You and fall in love with Your ways. So here is our prayer this morning. Lord, simply this, that You would help us to fall in love with Your law. That we would celebrate the fact that Jesus has set us free and empowered us to obey You. And we would celebrate and love Your law as that guide to help us continue to live in freedom, which is the freedom to love You and love others and to follow all of Your commands, Jesus. Help us in this. And I would pray too that You would bless us as we read Psalm 119, that we would hear and understand and absorb and live out Your Word. Transform us through um, Psalm 119. And now prepare our hearts, God, as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us, His death and His resurrection, the forgiveness of our sins and the empowerment to live the holy life, the life of Your kingdom. In Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.